0: Part five, chapter three of *The Manxman*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Manxman* by Sir Hall Part five, chapter three. The next day, the crier was crying, "Great meeting, Manx fishermen, on zigzag at Peel when boats come in tomorrow morning. Protest again, harbour taxes." THE THING ITSELF, THOUGHT PETE, WITH HIS HAND PRESSED HARD ON THE OUTSIDE OF HIS BREAST-POCKET. AT FIVE O'CLOCK IN THE AFTERNOON HE WENT DOWN TO THE HARBOR, WHERE HIS NICKY LAY AT THE QUAY, SHOUTED TO THE MASTER, TAKE AN ODD MAN TONIGHT, MR. KEMISH, THEN dropped TO THE DECK AND helped TO FETCH THE BOAT INTO THE BAY. THEY HAD TO HAUL HER OUT BY POLES ALONG THE QUAY WALL, FOR THE TIDE WAS LOW AND THERE WAS NO BREAKWATER. IT WAS STILL EARLY IN THE HERRING SEASON, BUT THE FISHING WAS IN FULL SWING. Five hundred boats from all parts were making for the fishing ground. It lay off the southwest tail of the island. Before Pete's boat reached it, the fleet was sitting together, like a flight of sea-fowl, and the sun was almost gone. The sun went down that night over the hills of Morn, very angry and red in its setting. The sky to the north was dark and sullen. The round line of the sea was bleared and broken, but there was little wind, and the water was quiet. ''Bring to and shoot!'' cried Pete, and they dropped sail to the landward of the fleet, off the shoulder of the calf island, with its two lights making one. The boat was brought head to the wind, with the flowing tide veering against her. The nets were shot over the starboard quarter, and they dropped astern. The bow was swung round to the line of the floating mollags, and boat and nets began to drift together. Supper was served, the pump was worked, the lights were run up, a small boat was sent round with a flare to fright away the evil spirits, and then the night came down, a dark night without moon or stars, shutting out the island, though it stood so near, and even the rocks of the hen and chicken. The first man for the lookout took up his one hour's watch at the helm, and the rest went below. Pete's bunk was under the binnacle, and the light of its lamp fell on a stamped envelope which he took out of his breast pocket from time to time, that he might read the inscription. IT RAN, CAPTAIN PETER QUILLIAM, ELM COTTAGE, RAMSEY, ISLE OF MAN. HE LOOKED AT IT LOVINGLY, FONDLY, YEARNINGLY, YET WITH A CERTAIN AWE, TOO, AS IF IT WERE THE CASKET OF SOME HIDDEN TREASURE, AND HE HARDLY KNEW WHAT IT CONTAINED. THE dim lit CABIN WAS QUIET, THE NET BOILER SPARCHED DROPS OF HOT WATER AT INTERVALS, THE FIRE OF THE COOKING STOVE SLID AND FELL, THE MEN BREATHED HEAVILY FROM UNSEEN BEDS, And the sea washed as the boat rolled what's she saying i wonder i wonder god bless her he mumbled and then he too fell asleep two hours before hauling they proved the fishing by taking in a pair of the net found good herring and blew the horn as signal that they were doing well then out of the black depths around wherein no boat could be seen the lights of other boats came floating silently astern "'until the company about them in the darkness "'was like a little city of the sea and the night. "'At the first peep of morning "'over the round shoulder of the calf "'the little city awoke. "'There were the clicks of the capstan "'and the shouts of the men "'as the nets came back to the boats, "'heavy and white with fish. "'All being aboard, "'the men went down on the deck "'according to their wont, "'every man on his knee with his face in his cap, "'and then leapt up with a shout, "'perhaps an oath, swung to the wind,' Hoisted the square sails and made for home. The dark northwest was lowering by this time, and the sea was beginning to jump. Breakfast boys sang out. Pete, with his head above the companion, and all but the helmsman went below. There was a pot full of the drop fish, and every man ate his warp of herring. It had been a great night's fishing. Some of the boats were full to the mouth, and all had plenty. We'll do middling if we get a market, said Pete. We've got to get home first, said the master, and at the same moment a sea struck the windward quarter with the force of a sledge-hammer, and the block at the masthead began to sing. We'll run for Peel this morning, boys, said Pete, smothering his voice in a mouthful. Peel, said the master, shooting out his lip. They've got no harbour there at all with a cat's paw of a breeze, let alone a north I'm for going up to the meeting, said Pete, in an incoherent way. Then they tacked before the rising gale, and went off with the fleet as it swirled like a flight of gulls abreast of the wind. The sea came tumbling down like a shoal of sea-hogs, and washed the faces of the men as they sat in oilskins on the hatch-head, shaking the herring out of the nets into the hold. But their work only began when they came into Peel. The tide was down, there was no breakwater, the neck of the harbour was narrow, and four hundred boats were coming to take shelter and to land their cargoes. It was a scene of tumult and confusion, shouting, swearing, and fighting among the men, and crushing and cranching among the boats as they nosed their way to the harbour mouth, threw ropes onto the quay, where fifty ropes were round one post already, or cast anchors up the bank of the castle rock, which was steep and dangerous to lie on. Pete got landed somehow, but his Nicky with half the fleet turned tail and went round the island. As he leapt ashore, the helpless harbour-master, who had been bellowing over the babel through a cracked trumpet, turned to him and said, "'For the Lord's sake, Captain Quilliam, if you've got a friend that can lend us a hand, go off to the meeting at seven o'clock.' "'I may to,' said Pete, but he had something else to do first. It was the task that had brought him to Peel, and no eye must see him do it. Slowly and slyly, like one who does a doubtful thing and pretends to be doing nothing, he went stealing through the town, behind the old courthouse and up Castle Street, into the market place and across it to the line of shops which make the principal thoroughfare. At one of these shops, a little single room place, with its small shutter still up, but the door half open and a noise of stamping going on inside, he stopped in a lounging way, half twisting on his heel as if idly looking back. It was the post office. With a stealthy look around, HE PUT A TREMBLING HAND INTO HIS BREAST-POCKET, DREW OUT THE LETTER, SCREENED IT BY THE FLAT OF HIS BIG PALM, AND POSTED IT. THEN HE TURNED hurriedly AWAY AND WAS GONE IN A MOMENT, LIKE A MAN WHO FEARED PURSUIT, DOWN A STEEP AND TORTUOUS alley THAT LED TO THE SHORE. THE MORNING WAS EARLY. THE SHOPS WERE NOT YET OPEN. ONLY THE HOMES OF THE FISHERMEN WERE PUTTING OUT CURLING WREATHS OF SMOKE. THE SILENT STREETS ECHOED TO HIS LIGHTEST FOOTSTEP. BUT THE SHORE-ROAD WAS BUSY ENOUGH. Fishermen in sea boots and sou'westers, with oilskin over one arm and a string of herring in the other hand, were trooping from the harbour up to the zigzag by the rock called the Craigmullan. It was at the end of the bay where cliff and beach and sea together form a bag like the cod end of the trawl net. It's not the fishermen at all. It's the farmers they're thinking of, said one. You're right, said Pete. And it's some of ourselves that's to blame for it. How's that? said somebody. Easy enough, said Pete. When I came home from Kimberley I met an old fisherman. You know the man, Billy—well, you do—Dan Phil Nelly of Ramsey. How's the fishing, Phil? says I. He gave me a hm, and a heist of his neck, and I'm not fishing no more, says he. The wife's keeping a private hotel, says he, and what are you doing yourself? says I. I'm walking about, says he, and, gosh bless me, if the man wasn't wearing a collar and carrying a stick, and prating about advertising the island, if you plays. At the sound of Pete's voice a group of the men gathered about him. "'That's not the worst, neither,' said he. "'The other day I tumbled over Tom Hommy, "'You know Tom hommy, "'Yes, you do, the little deaf man up Malheur. "'He was lying in the hedge by the public house, three sheets in the wind. "'Why aren't you out with the boats, Tom?' says I. "'Wash for should I go out with the boats, "'when the childer can earn more on the roads? says the drunken wastrel. And is yonder your boys and girls tossing somersaults at the tail of the tripper's car, says I? Yes, says he, and they'll earn more in a day at their caperings than their father in a week at the herrings. I believe it enough, said one. The man's about right, said another. And a querulous voice behind said, Wonderful the prosperity of the island since the visitors came to it. Get out with you there, for a disgrace to the name of Manxman! sang out Pete over the heads of those that stood between with the farming going to the dogs and the fishing going to the devil. Do you know what the old island's coming to? It's coming to an island of lodging-house keepers and hackney-car drivers. Not the Isle of Man at all, but the Isle of Manchester. There was a tremendous shout at this last word. In another minute Pete was lifted shoulder-high over the crowd onto the highest turn of the zigzag path, and bidden to go on. There were five hundred faces below him, putting out hot breath in the cool morning air the sun was shooting over the cliffs a canopy as of smoke above their heads on the top of the crag the sea-fowl were jabbering and the white sea itself was climbing on the beach men said pete there's not much to say this morning's work said everything we'd a right fishing last night hadn't we four hundred boats came up to peel and we hadn't less than ten mace apiece That's you that's smart at your figuring and ciphering. Spake out now. That's four thousand mays, isn't it? Shouts of right. Oh, you're quick, wonderful. No holding you at all when it's money that's in. Four thousand mays ready and waiting for the steamers to England. But did we land it? No, nor half of it neither. The other half's gone round to other ports. Too late for the day's sailing, and half of that half will be going rotten and getting chucked back into the sea. "'That's what the Manx fishermen have lost this morning, "'because they haven't harbours to shelter them, "'and yet they're talking of levying harbour dues.' "'Man, Veen, he's a boy. "'He's all that. "'Go it, Captain. "'What are we to do?' "'Do,' cried Pete. "'I'll tell you what you're to do. "'This is Friday. "'Next Thursday is old Midsummer Day. "'That's Tyndrell Court Day. "'Come to St. John's on Thursday. "'Every man of you come.' "'Come in your sea-boots and your jerseys. "'Let the Governor see you main it. "'Give us reasonable hope of harbour improvement, "'and we'll pay,' says you. "'If you don't, we won't. "'And if you try to make us, we're two thousand strong, "'and we'll rise like one man. "'Don't be freckened. "'You've a right to be bold in a good cause. "'I'll get somebody to spake for you. "'You know the man I mean. "'He stood the fisherman's friend before today, "'and he isn't going taking off his cap to the best man "'that's setting foot on Tinwald Hill.' It was agreed. Between that day and Tinwell Day Pete was to enlist the sympathy of Philip, and to go to Port St. Mary to get the cooperation of the Southside fishermen. The town was astir by this time, the sun was on the beach, and the fishermen trooped off to bed. End of part five Chapter three